Hello, hello, and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn how to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Laurie, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Rick. Doc Rick is one of a few holistic podiatrists in the country and is a founder of Start With Your Feet Lifestyle. His mission is to self-empower people to take control of their overall health by looking to their feet as a starting point. His prescription for interval training promotes overall health, weight loss, and is anti-aging. His motto is walk strong and live long. Welcome, Dr. Rick. I'm really excited to have you. Thanks for having me, Lori. Appreciate it. And you know what? You said you're one of the few podiatrists, holistic podiatrists, but I think you're the first holistic podiatrist I've ever heard of. Yeah, I, they're really, I, it's, um, it's pretty amazing that uh, when, you're, when you're in business, you're trying to stand out from the crowd. But I didn't realize that I actually made my own niche. And there's very, there are very few podiatrists in that niche, very few, you know, doctors in, in that niche. There are probably more doctors than podiatrists in the niche. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the number one thing of why I'm holistic is because I'm trying to do the safest possible treatments for my patients. And that's mm-hmm. what it all revolves around. Yes, I love that. And I mean, it took me a while to find a holistic doctor myself because I wanted a medical doctor as my gen- general practitioner, but I wanted somebody who wasn't going to say, oh, you have d- depression or anxiety or ADHD and you know, all of those are valid. But instead they look at your labs, they look at all, all of your vitamins, they sp- prescribe supplements. And I love doctors such as yourself that are choosing to make this change in a very specific way. I I, I am curious though, because I know that um, being a holistic podiatrist is only a portion of your career so far. So can you catch me up to date on why you chose to become a holistic podiatrist in your journey up until now? Yeah, well, I started practicing in nineteen in 1987, came to Florida, South Florida in 1989. So I'm about 35 years in already with um, really no intention of retiring. I don't believe in that. I believe in semi-retirement. As, as a matter of fact, I stopped working Fridays about a year and a half ago. And just I by doing that. that, I can go another 20 years like this. That's uh, awesome. I'm, I'm 63 years old right now. I have no I have no intention of retiring, but I am invigorated by the holistic concept and how I can try to get patients off of prescriptions. So the reason I became holistic is because I met my wife and she was dealing with a diagnosis of fibromyalgia even before it was a diagnosis. So Mm. she would go to, uh, she was trying to figure out what was wrong. She would go to doctors and a lot of times back then before the official diagnosis was even a diagnosis, they would say, oh, you're depressed or you're in chronic pain or something. Anyway, at one point in time, this sharp rheumatologist was able to make the diagnosis. Unfortunately, he put her on five different prescriptions. Yes. And she said, I have a young child here, nothing doing. 
she and this is before the internet she actually went to the library and started researching dietary changes supplementation uh all of these things and so this was before i even met her this was she when she was married to her first husband and when i met her she was already into the recovery from that but early on into the recovery and i was heavily influenced by how she approached it and i prior to that i was always very uneasy i'm trained you know in, in podiatry school they train you conventionally they don't train you to think outside the box so it's up to yourself if you're going to think outside the box you're on your own so i basically with her being my my influence i then went on a journey to try to learn how can i be holistic in all of my protocols and i was able to do that it took some time and i came across some great thought leaders along the way and i took a, i took a pearl from one person a pearl from another and started to build that up but the foundation of my whole uh, being is the fact that i designed an arch support which is the foundation for your body and that was always one of the reasons why i got into podiatry in the first place not to be a surgeon but to do the medical and the biomechanical part which to me is the essence of podiatry. So you have your foot. It, what kind of foot is it? Is it a flat foot or it is what I, or the opposite, what I call a hard foot that doesn't flatten. Once you know that, then I'm gonna like promote the yin and yang principle of biomechanics, which is if you have a flat foot, you wanna put something firmer under it. If you have a hard foot, you wanna put something softer. But the trick is everything must be comfortable step one then from there it needs to do something so that's why it's not just a piece of material in the shoe it's actually something that has a prescription covering the back of the foot the middle and the front based on my findings and so i've developed my own biomechanical protocol based on that so that was my foundation and it, it was a terrific way to be able to get everything in looking at the whole person even though i'm geographically limited with my degree i'm only allowed to go up to the knee but with this approach i'm setting the patient up to be able to walk more efficiently in their daily living activities and then mm -hmm. from there hopefully they can take that same efficiency and lack of injury and lack of pain and then start to do your exercise regularly but not spend an inordinate amount of time doing it. And so then by doing that, you're gonna be more likely not to be overweight. You're gonna be more likely not to have chronic disease. And with mm. that comes medications, side effects, and all of these additional prescriptions that are given. So what I'm, my goal is to try to self-empower people to get down to a target weight. And there's some, some simple things to do, diet and exercise wise. And you wanna be able to be in a target weight so that you're healthier. You wanna be able to walk around with mobility. They did a study that the faster you can walk at the age of 50 means the longer you will live. So wow. that, that's just, and they did a study based on that. And it was- I need incredible. to share that with my grandma. She's such a fast walker. So, <laughs> so, so that's, that's terrific. That means that, that that bodes well for her. So that's why the first thing that I do when I'm looking at patients, I just, I'm gonna look at their shoes and say, what kind of shoes are you wearing? And inevitably 
even if they're most of the time they're wearing up down here, a lot of women are wearing flip flops, which is the absolute mm. worst shoe. Uh, I don't mind a sandal, but more <laughs> of a sandal that comes across the top. And if you're going to wear it out, I say put a strap behind it to give more support. But mm. even the sneakers that most people wear, a quote unquote good shoe, most of them are subpar. And why is that? Because of the back of the shoe behind the heel not being firm. So I try to educate my patients on all of that initially. So it's like I, I, I take a look at the shoe they're wearing. I go right to the behind the heel. And if I can squeeze it, I say, this is this does not pass the test. So oh, no, that's, that's step one, <laughs> that if somebody wants to know the bare basics of shoes, yes. that's, that's step one. So you want a lace or a Velcro to go back into the back of the shoe so and make use of the back of the shoe being firm. And then yes. even if you don't have an orthotic, that's a good start for stability. Then mm. part two of that is to take the insole out, put an orthotic in, so then you have your biomechanical appropriate control under the foot so then you right. have the one the one two punch for stability so then wow. with, so then with that they're walking around better then hopefully they can incorporate the exercise and then hopefully they're down to a target weight that's good and then they're on their way getting off prescriptions that's my goal right oh there's so much i want to ask you doc rick and First off, um, what a lovely love story. That's so sweet that, you know, your wife really was a great influence for you to move into this space and to help people in this very specific way. I'm really sorry that she went through that, but um, it, it's really nice that you can share what you're sharing now with folks. And I can't imagine how difficult it would have been to go from your conventional practices and from that conventional way of thinking to needing to expand and grow that, grow your mind into something else. Um, secondly, I'm wearing the wrong shoes. I have like knit, knit shoes. I just ran 2.5 miles in them. Um, right. And my feet don't hurt, but um, according to your practices, I'm definitely right. wearing the wrong shoes. <laughs> yeah, there might come a time where there'll come a time where it might come back to bite you. Oh, my goodness. Um, so I guess what I want to know is why does it start with your feet? You know, if we need more support around the back, potentially orthotics um, in order to help you lose weight and be within that optimal weight range, like why starting with your feet more than anything else? Okay. So first of all, you want to make sure that you're in the right shoe for that mobility. So the, the part behind the heel, a lace rather than a loafer, so you can get pushback. But people also 90% of my patients are in the wrong size shoe. They think that their longest toe has to be right up against the tip of the shoe. And that's not the case. The, a very important point that I like to stress is you need about an inch from your longest toe, which could be your first, second, or third toe usually, to the end of the shoe. And people are blown away when I show them yeah. where my toe is sitting in my shoe. They go, wow. And you can easily do that if the back is firm behind the heel and if you lace up and go back. So mm. you can't do that in a loafer. If you try to do that in a loafer, your heel comes out and you go, I can't use that shoe. I have to go smaller. When you go smaller, then the front part of your foot's going to get rubbed and something bad is going to happen to your feet. So that's step one. You want to make sure you're not walking around in pain from the shoes. Then step two is 
getting an orthotic into the shoe so that you have some biomechanical control. And then you can then take that and be doing your daily living activities, walking around and not saying, oh, I can't go to the store today because my feet hurt. So you're mm -hmm. doing that. That's not holding you back. And then we'll get to it in a little while. But if you want to get to it now, I can get to it. Then I want them to start exercising regularly, but not with anything that's insurmountable. And mm -hmm. I can tell you that I have had patients that come to me in wheelchairs and they can still do this prescription because mm -hmm. they can sit down on a regular chair. They can buy a floor pedal, which is the pedal for like a bicycle. Just put it on the floor for $30. You don't even have to get the real exercise bike, which they wouldn't be able to get on anyway. And they can do my whole prescription sitting in a regular chair, taking 12 minutes a day. So uh, I'll give you an example of the goal that I want my patients to get to. And that is the interval training, let's say Monday through Friday. And the, I, do, I do mine in the morning. So when I go home today, you just did your exercise, Lori, in between gigs. I did mine before I even left the office and I only needed 12 minutes to do it. And that's the beauty. Most people don't want to spend an hour. I don't want to spend an hour doing aerobic, um, mm -hmm. but, I, but I have no problem spending 12 minutes. So this is what I personally do. Okay. I go out on my street, I sprint for 20 seconds, and then I walk for roughly a minute to catch my breath. Then I sprint the other way, 20 seconds. I do that six times with a minute walk in between. Then the final three are 15 second sprints. So a shorter time, but I, but I do them faster. So mm -hmm. then the whole reason for why this is so effective is because by going faster at the end, you are physiologically building your body up as opposed okay. to a long distance runner that thinks they're doing well for themselves by running 10 miles a day or every other day, they're actually wearing their body down and they're making their heart less efficient. Mm -hmm. My version, which was taken from a medical doctor um, that I followed who had this whole prescription and he had physiologic evidence and studies to back it up. It's the same prescription that he recommends, but I have it tailored to make it what I call more realistic. So mm. I don't know if you've ever done interval training, but if someone tells me, and I'm in good shape, um, if someone tells me that I need to go fast for 30 seconds, that's a long time. Um, mm. If somebody's overweight and uh, eight, 70 years old, they're certainly not going to be able to do that for 30 seconds. So mm -hmm. it can be tweaked along the way. So the, the, the point that I want to make about the interval is that you don't even have necessarily have to do 20 and 15 uh, intervals. You can go 15 and 10. You can go 10 and 5. But you have to add up all of the fast and all the fast portions, and they have to add up to two minutes. So however right. you do that, it needs to be two minutes. Once you get those two minutes, it's the equivalent of going for an hour. But in my eyes, it's even better because by going faster at the end, you're doing a number of things that are really going to make a significant impact on your health more than anything else, I believe. And it's going to improve your heart strength. It's going to improve your lung capacity.
the ability to hold your breath is also an indicator of longevity besides being able to walk fast at the age of 50. Mm. So if you can hold your breath for a long time, that's a good sign that you're going to be able to live long. It also gives an oxygenation to your body. It gives like a burst of, of oxygenation. So you're, you're fighting inflammation that way. You're reducing your chances of Alzheimer's by oxygenating your brain better. You're reducing your chances of arthritis by oxygenating joints better. You're also going into a 12, up to a 12 hour afterburn of fat. So mm. you do that quick 12 minute workout. Guess what? As long as you're not eating a bagel right after the workout, you're going to go into an afterburn of fat. So if you're doing a couple of key things nutritionally, you're going to start to lose some weight as long as your thyroid checks out and as long as your hormones check out, et cetera, as long as that is under control, then you can actually lose weight while you're going to work doing something mm. else and then it's also anti-aging and so i think i'm the proof of that because i started doing this when i was 50 i'm 13 years into it i'm sick i just turned 63 and i just had a physical and my and my numbers my my blood pressure my all of my lab work is better than when i was 50. so i and i feel better i i became a vegetarian about eight years ago i feel better from doing that People don't realize that if you have heart disease and you take a medication, that's all well and good. But if you actually become vegetarian, if you have heart disease, not only will you slow down the process, you can reverse heart disease by being wow. vegetarian, not just slow it or stop it. You can actually reverse it. And isn't that something? So even if you do it a couple of days a week, you're helping yourself. Now, a lot of people can't necessarily make that leap. But if you can do it meatless Monday and add another day, you can do that. Then you're well on your way to reversing heart disease without any prescription. There's no prescription to reverse heart disease, mm. but there are natural ways to do it. So I think if I can convey that message, that's my, my mission for the rest of my career. And I'm going to be doing this even after I'm cutting nails. I'll be doing my podcast <laughs> just like you're doing yours. I'll be doing that forever. I'm not going to stop because my goal, I see how unhealthy the United States is. And it's sad. The, the American diet is called the standard American diet. And the acronym for that is sad. And the mm. standard American diet leads to being people being overweight. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. almost half of our population is overweight. That is not acceptable. That's not a good uh, thing for the future as far as the burden on our healthcare system. Mm. So I want people to be healthy. I, I want people to only go to the doctor once a year for their checkup. That's it. I don't yeah. want people to be go. I don't want people going constantly to just get another prescription or a refill on the prescription or add a new prescription. Don't want that. I want people to turn it around. And so I'm passionate about that. And it's something that I find that's the 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 acronym high intensity interval training is out there and about a lot of fitness people know about it and athletes know about it but as a matter of fact i have renamed high intensity interval training because i don't want to scare somebody who's the non-athlete because if somebody if, if i'm saying i want everyone to do high intensity interval training they're not going to get past the words high intensity if you're overweight and on seven meds and you can barely walk, 
you hear high intensity, you're running for the hills. You're not even going to consider it. So I'm just calling it interval training. And I'm saying it's my prescription for interval training. And anybody can tweak it as they want to. So you can go into the pool and do it. You can do it swimming. You can do it uh, in the shallow end, doing running in place. You can do it on an exercise bike. You can do it on a treadmill, an elliptical. You can do fast walk, slow walk on land. You can do a jog, slow walk on land. There's so many different ways to do it. Whatever floats your boat. I What I do on a rainy day is I do jumping jack intervals inside. So it gets slippery outside. So I just mm-hmm. do jumping jacks to the to 20 seconds inside. And then I rest and I do it again. So I get my interval in. I don't let the rain stop me. It's not something that's going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop me. Yes. So um, unlike the post office, neither nor rain, nor sleet, <laughs> nor hail. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to get that interval training in Monday through Friday. Then I do the gym on Friday and Sunday with a day of rest in between to do my weight resistance training. So I'm doing my weights, full body workout twice a week. I do daily stretching and Monday through Friday interval training, which only takes 12 minutes. So the beauty of my method only takes 12 minutes. You can do it before work. You can do it before school. You don't have to wake up an hour before just 12 extra minutes. I think that it's very realistic. And I and I would like everybody to learn about this way of exercising so they're not daunted, so they're not daunted by uh, the uh, the task at hand. Are you tired of constantly feeling burnt out while trying to achieve your goals? Do you find yourself struggling to maintain motivation and productivity over long periods of time? I'd like to introduce you to the Goal Getting Journal, the ultimate solution for those of you who want to surpass their goals without burning out. Our journal is designed to help you set achievable goals, track your progress, and maintain a healthy work-life balance. With our journal, you'll discover practical strategies for managing stress, staying motivated, and avoiding burnout, including time blocking, habit stacking, and so much more. You'll also learn how to prioritize your tasks and maximize your productivity so you can get more done in less time. The Goal Getting Journal is perfect for anyone who wants to achieve their goals without sacrificing their mental health and well-being. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a student, or just someone who wants to make any positive change in your life, the Goal Getting Journal can help you stay on track and avoid burnout. And for Holistic Fitness Podcast listeners, you can get 20% off your first journal using the code HF podcast. Go to goalgettingjournal.com and type HF podcast at checkout to get your discount. So what are you waiting for? Order the Goal Getting Journal today and start getting your goals without burning out. Yeah, it's a really great method and it's a really great way to get people into it. And I love that it is like anaerobic and focused on that that power because somebody who I guess is new to exercise, let's just say they're running, they are building some level of muscle to start with and they are also getting all those other benefits that you mentioned but I am curious like as a trainer resistance training is really really important to me and I definitely share with their clients with my clients too that you should have some level of resistance training how you get there doesn't matter we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast that enjoy running that enjoy CrossFit that enjoy lots of different things so what would you recommend for somebody who may be like does have experience 
and training isn't morbidly obese, would you recommend that everyone does this in addition to maybe other stuff they're doing? Like, I'm curious about your your thoughts holistically on that. Yeah, I have a lot of patients that are retired, so they have a lot of time on their hands. So I have patients that say that they walk for two hours a day. So, Mm. and I say, walking for an hour, let's say, is better than running for an hour because running for an hour is going to wear your body down, as I said before, but it's also going to drastically increase your chances of overuse injuries. So Mm, most problems in the lower extremity (laughs) and the back, it's going to be from doing the exercise for too long. And once you get over 40, something's going to happen between the feet to the lower back, something's going to happen. So that's another advantage of doing it short and sweet. But what I say to that, to the people that the fitness people Get your interval training session in at the start of your session. Do your fast, slow, fast, slow. Then at that point, if you say, I have an hour still that I want to do more aerobic, fine. Walk or do something lower impact rather than run. And then, of course, don't forget to do your resistance weight training, upper and lower body, at least twice a week because over age 50, you're starting to lose muscle mass. You have to eat enough protein to work that back into you, and you have to do resistance weight training, and it doesn't have to be necessarily at the gym with fancy equipment. It can be at home. There are lots of equipment, things that you can do without anything, just your own body like planks and Mm push-ups and and all of those and lunges. You can do all of this, or you can use a resistance band that you can get. And you can do all you can do your whole workout with the resistance bands. But the bottom line is that you do have to build those muscles up also because they start yes. to they start to uh, de- de- diminish drastically after age 50. So you have to do both. So you want to get the interval training in, do a low impact workout after get the get the weight resistance training in and do daily stretching, um, let's say, of your upper back, your lower back strengthening and do planks every day to strengthen your core let's say you want to keep that core good because as you get older you want to be able to get up and down from chairs so Mm. you need that core working well i have a lot of patients that i see in the office they can barely get up from the the chair in the waiting room so if you have a good core you're up and in in one in, in a flash so you want to work that core And then you also want, I like to recommend a daily Achilles tendon stretch. I just do that in the shower. Just do your Achilles stretch and count to 20. Do the other side. I do it when I'm in the shower. So that way I I don't forget to do it. Mm, No, that's awesome. And And I definitely love that. I think resistance training is really important, especially as you age. So I love, I love that you mentioned that. Something I'm curious about, a guy I dated when I was like 24 or 25 he introduced this, he loved running, did a lot of running um, and spoke a lot about bare feet. So there's like be- Vivo Barefoots and he'd read this book about this tribe back in the day that ran for like miles and miles and miles bare feet. Um, and basically this contradicts everything you're saying. So I'm really curious yeah. about your thoughts on that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you remember, but about 10 years ago, there was this big barefoot running phase. Yeah. Where- they were trying and they were making I remember. They, they were making these minimal uh ab- shock absorption shoes they were basically like a sock that people They still have them. They're big. Yeah, they yeah. still have them. They still have them. Uh if somebody wanted to do that, I'll big I'll just say my caveat as a podiatrist is you need to have the ideal foot 
So what's the ideal foot? The ideal foot to me is a mild flat foot, something that has a little bit of shock absorption, not too much, not too little. Uh, how many of my patients have an ideal foot? Not the majority. Somebody's usually <laughs> going to be flattening too much or not flattening enough. So that's one. The other thing is if you're over 40, you're taking a big chance doing that. All right. And of course, <laughs> as you get older, you need that extra cushioning. Uh, and then you're really losing the control from the shoe that you could really benefit from. Because if you could put the best orthotic under a foot with an open back, and if you're a very flat foot, that's your foot's going to move right as if it did not have the orthotic because there's nothing holding it from behind. That's why I like to stress the importance of it being very firm right behind the lower heel of the shoe. Mm. So you can, you can grip that heel and keep it from moving as much. So if you wanted to do the barefoot running under 40, no back issues and doing it on like a forgiving surface indoors so that you don't step on glass, for instance. Yes. You know, outdoors, you got foreign bodies to deal with. Indoors on a like a padded gym. But realize on some of these circular tracks that you have in, in the gyms, it's on an angle. And if mm -hmm. you run the same direction all the time, you're going to get an imbalance. You're going to get an asymmetry. Something's going to happen. Even if you go one, you know, one direction for a couple times in the other direction, you're still... Better to do it on a flat surface, but you want it to be a something that has a little bit of give. Yeah, I really so appreciate I'm not, I'm not your big, opinion. So I'm not big on barefoot running, as you can see. I, yeah. think that, I think that you need a little bit of extra helping hands to help you prevent you from injuring yourself. I agree. Yeah. And the whole argument is like, we don't use our feet muscles as much or something. I can't remember. Like, obviously I'm not into barefoot running either, but I'm like, Hey, I've got Doc Rick on here. Like, let's ask him because right. it's popped up into my head. Um, and I'm thinking, and like another argument is like when we were tribal beings, we didn't have shoes, blah, 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 but we've evolved a lot. And now thinking about it with your age range of 40, we were all dying before 40. So I guess we weren't old enough to see the issues. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, something that we haven't touched on yet that you did allude to was nutrition. So um, I'm actually a vegetarian as well. And a big reason why I'm vegetarian is um, just because meat gives me the ick. It makes me feel gross. Like I'm like, I don't want to eat it. Um, so we don't have to speak about being vegetarian unless you want to. But um, I'm really curious, like what, are your guidelines for ideal nutrition for folks? Yeah, um, what to me, the number one thing is to try to eat organic. And the reason is the non-organic foods are sprayed with pesticides. So mm. there are, there's, you can go and check out the dirtydozen.org and the clean 15 so you have to, you really want to, re, you want to eat real food. So not things that have 20 ingredients in them. You want to eat food without preservatives. You want to preferably eat organic because otherwise there are chemicals being sprayed on that food that you're ingesting. That's not going to lead to good things. So you also have to realize that there's the whole GMO factor too. So genetically modified organisms it's keeps on every year there are more and more foods that are gmo uh the the main one the main culprits right now 
are corn and and tofu. Uh, soy. Oh yeah. Soy. They're genetic. I try unless, not to eat it because of unless that. Unless yeah. they are organic, they're going to be genetically modified. Genetically modified is is not natural. Your body doesn't recognize it. And now they're also starting to do the same thing with uh, with wheat. They're starting to do that, and they're starting to spray the wheat with glyphosate, which is uh, Monsanto Roundup. They're spraying that to, at, at harvest. So you're, it's such a dangerous thing. Europe has banned glyphosate from being used on their products. The United States allows it still. So they say that there's up to a certain level that it's okay. I don't agree. I think that any toxin any level, if you can eliminate it, it should be eliminated because you're supposed to be out protecting your citizens. So you want them to be healthy. You don't want them eating eating things that are chemical laden. So that's only gonna cause bad health effects, including cancer. So, or, and the whole thing also with organic is that, yeah, it's gonna be more expensive, but I would rather spend more money on the food today then have to go through a cancer diagnosis down the line and all of the effects that it does on you and your family and the money spent on the treatments. Yes. I'd rather spend the money now and prevent that. So organic is a big thing. You want to eat a lot of veggies because the veggies will not raise your blood sugar and get an air fryer and throw the veggies in there and every veggie tastes good after it's been cooked a little in an air fryer. That's I love, so the, good, I yeah. love the air fryer. I love the air Same. fryer. Um, <laughs> another thing that's very important nutritionally that people have no idea is in regards to the white flour content of their diet. So the white flour is found in bread, cookies, cake, pasta, all of that is the number one reason why America is so unhealthy. If you go into uh, the convenience store at the gas station, 98% of the products in there are white flour. The only things that are not, once in a while, you'll find some nuts in there. Those it's are the only so ones. It's so hard when you're every, traveling. But, yeah. So yeah, it's very hard. So you just have to go with nuts. But white flour is the killer because white flour raises your blood sugar and it turns to fat. So it's going to increase your chances for diabetes. It's going to increase your chances for gaining weight. And then that leads to diabetes and heart trouble and metabolic syndrome and all of those things, which then require prescriptions and then really affect the quality of life. So mm. the, the key bread to eat that I tell all of my patients is called sprouted bread. It's a category of bread called sprouted. It's seven-day-old wheat, wheat that has not fully germinated. By not fully germinating, it doesn't have the bad effects of the white flour effect. It also has a lot more vitamins and minerals in them. And inside your body, it acts like a vegetable. And that's what you want. You want everything inside your body acting like a vegetable that's not going to raise your blood sugar and not turn to fat. So you can go to most stores and find sprouted bread. Uh, there are some that are frozen, and I find that the frozen ones are not the greatest. I go to some stores where they have room temperature sprouted bread, and I'll get two loaves, one to keep in the fridge, one to keep in the freezer as the backup when the other one runs out. And you, you, can, you can eat this and put things on it, eat your sandwich. I like to eat a sandwich for lunch, but I can do it without guilt knowing that I'm eating something, it tastes good, 
but I'm not harming myself. So sprouted bread is a key. And I will say that if you're out, you're not going to be able to get sprouted bread. So the next three on the list, in my eyes, that are the healthiest breads are going to be sourdough, pumpernickel, and rye. But, but people think whole wheat is healthy. It's not. It just has a little bit more fiber, but it's going to raise your blood sugar, just like white white flour and it's going to turn to fat just like white flour so people go oh i eat whole wheat bread i'm being i I think i'm being healthy i'm saying i'm sorry but you're not you gotta switch to sprouted so that's a big thing that i like to talk about and when it comes to water that's another big big thing so people walk around with their water bottles so first of all that bottle is plastic that plastic has phytoestrogens those are forever chemicals that go into your body that lead to cancer, they lead to rising the estrogen in your body. So if you're a man, you don't want that. And if you're a woman, you don't want that because that causes bad effects, including cancer. And so you want to make sure that the water you're drinking is in glass or stainless steel or ceramic, not plastic. And the type of water, there are, in my eyes, there are only two good waters. One is the top of the line, what I call reverse, it's called reverse osmosis water. Mm -hmm. I have a machine in my house. It has four filters. It filters out everything completely. It's the purest water you can drink. It, unfortunately, it does filter out some good trace minerals that you need. So then you have to additionally supplement with a little bit of Himal, I do Himalayan crystal salts every morning to get all of the trace minerals that I'm not getting with the reverse osmosis. So I fill up my my large water bottle that's stainless steel. I bring it to work and that's what I drink all day. And the I know that I'm drinking something that's pure. The next best thing is distilled water. Those are basically the only two good waters to drink. Distilled water, though, you'll see that when they sell it in the store, it's in the plastic container. So that's not so good. The only thing that would be worse is if that plastic container is in the garage or heating up in the in the car where then the plastic's melting right into the water. So Mm. that's you want to concentrate on a lot of veggies. You want to try to eat organic. You want to eat sprouted bread. You want to eat pasta that is made, I use a pasta that's made from garbanzo beans. So it's a protein pasta. You don't even have to add extra protein. You don't have to add your, your meat, whatever your meat is, or your, your, your vegetarian protein. You can just do it with the pasta and put some veggies on it and use whatever sauce you want to use. That's healthy. Um, and that's a, that's an important thing also. So, uh, veggies and the organic food, and clean reverse osmosis water or distilled water, lots of veggies, and low white flour. Of course, you're going to have some white flour here and there, but don't make it a staple every day, every meal of the day, because bad yeah. things will happen if you do that. So that is, an, in a nutshell, my, my nutrition advice. And, it's, and it's a, it's, un, unfortunately, the mainstream media does not really give that information out. Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high-energy, ambitious business girly with 
massive goals. And sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full-spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to, um, to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's products are... All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leith, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. No, they don't. And if anything, it's shoved in our face like, you know, what we should be eating when watching the football and it's chips and it's beer and it's bread and it's, right. you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. And, and it's yummy and delicious as well. Right. So you want to eat those things so it can be hard to come off. I'm really curious. You mentioned um, GMO, like um, organic, because other veggies are like sprayed with pesticides and stuff like that. I think we hear that non-GMO organic and stuff like that is better for us and you shared a few benefits so you mentioned like reducing chances of cancer I feel as though like white bread speaks for itself in terms of raising those blood sugar levels what are some other benefits that folks can find from um, having a more organic and non-GMO diet like what are some other drawbacks to eating conventionally uh, basically it's it, it's not that's basically it it's like it's not like it's more nutritious because the soil the way they do the farming here it's it, a lot of the soil today the minerals that were in the soil 50 years ago are not in the soil now because of uh -huh. the way they do the farming so it's basically you want to do this because the main thing is you don't want those chemicals coming into your body every day and then that is the number one reason why and then you can have People, people say, oh, you can have two fields and you have a regular field here and next to it's the organic field and they spray the regular field and then the wind takes it over to the organic field. So some of that's getting some pesticides. Yeah, that can happen. That's not every single field of organic is next to a non-organic, but mm. yeah, that can happen. And, and, you know, of course they're testing organic foods and finding that there are uh, some toxins in them also, but again, play the percentages. It's going to be a lot less. There's less, yeah. I mean, obviously, if the farmer is doing the right thing, he's going to try to do everything in his power to prevent that. 
I'm in favor of local uh, food growth. So mm-hmm. I just as you have a local elementary school, I think that there should be like a low and like maybe even attached to all of the elementary schools, there should be fields where the neighbors can do their planting and the whole community can share locally grown food that you know is safe. And mm-hmm. I think that that's something that we need to go back to the future. Back in the day when we were farmers and everyone had to, were, everyone was on their own for, for food. So it, now you have the convenience, but you also have the, the technology that comes with it. You have the whole pr- the process that goes with it and with it, the bad side effects that go with it. And you can see what's going on not only are older people getting cancer, but younger people are getting cancer left and right. And why is it so much now compared to 50 years ago? It's just a drastic difference in what's going into the food and the water and the air, for instance. All of that is toxic. We live in a very toxic world and it's getting worse. So that's why we got to try to get back to the local way of doing things. And I think that's a better way to do it. Yeah, try to we've go almost... to like a local farmer's market, let's say. Mm, yeah, the tech boom has been amazing. And the, I guess the industrial revolution as well has been amazing in terms of like the amount of creations and innovations it's provided us with. But our bodies don't really adapt as quickly as like the tech that we've built and stuff like that. And I think we forget that sometimes like some some of the, that community and I guess tribal, and I'm saying that in air quotes, um, driven things are still really, really important because physically, you know, we're not that different when we used to be. We get like a last minute cal- uh, meeting on the calendar from our boss. Like our body literally reacts like there's a tiger behind us still. So it makes sense with our food and our movement that we should be trying to um, get back to basics there. That's for sure. I, I think that's super important. And if we can do that, we're going to be a lot healthier as a nation. Mm. There's one last thing I want to touch on. I've noticed like a goal throughout this podcast has been to help people with weight loss. And I actually was reading something yesterday or the day before CDC published that 22 states reported that, um, oh, I can't remember the percentage, like over 30% were within that obese range or 40% in that obese range, like 22, or maybe it was majority. I think I, can't it was remember. About, I think it's about 50% at this 50, point. 50, yeah. It was majority for 22 states and that's obese, not overweight. So for context, for anyone listening, like obesity is like what, 30 BMI, whereas overweight is 25 BMI for a male. And um, I don't know, I'm I'm in two minds about this because on one hand, I see people get obsessed with their weight and get obsessed with the scale and it beca- can become a really unhealthy relationship. So I don't think that weight is a terrible metric. I think it's actually a marker of health, especially if you're going from being obese to, to being within a healthy weight range. But I don't view it as like the be all and end all. And I see a lot of issues with um, focusing on the number of the scale. So I guess I'm curious about your thoughts on it. Like, why the focus on weight, like when when it's helpful, when it's not helpful? Well, I personally am not a big BMI uh, person because I think it's very inaccurate. And I just read something recently that I think that they're going to start to go to a different ratio. It's like the that's awesome. The, I think the waist circumference is going to become Perfect. more of the way that you want to measure. 
the, the thing about weight is you want to not have that extra weight, which, ca- which gets carried in the midsection. And mm. that leads to the majority of the chronic disease. So you don't have to be super thin, but you want to get down to a weight and you don't have to be weighing yourself necessarily. You can just see how your clothes fit. And yeah. so just see how your clothes fit. And then you can tell how you're doing. You don't have to be weighing yourself every day or every week. And then just realize that you don't want to go on a quote unquote diet. You want to go on a, on a nutrition lifestyle and just incorporate it into your lifestyle. And I'm not saying don't have a slice of pizza, but just don't do it every day. I'm going to have a slice of pizza a couple times a week, but not too much. But I'm also eating healthy the rest of the time. I, but I like, I like to have my little treat. I'll have a slice of pizza. So you want to make it so that you're not going to stress your body to the point where you're getting chronic conditions like heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, metabolic disease, all of these things. So just do it in a, in a, in a slow and steady way. Do it gradually. Don't try to eliminate everything that you like to eat at once because you're not going to be able to do that and and you don't have to do it you just have to say these are the things that are really bad for me i'm just going to eat them you know periodically just you have to and it's very hard to make that switch but if you want to take control of your health that's the way to do it so you don't want to be relying on ozempic injections to do it you want to do yeah. it on eating more vegetables which are not going to cause a raise in your in your fat in your body you want to do it that way so if you have to, i took a, a ride to hippocrates institute in, in west palm beach they are one of the, the leading natural healing centers in the world wow i tried to i tried to le- uh, learn some things up there and i did learn some things and they do uh they treat patients that have stage four cancer and that are told that they have six months to live and they put them on a raw vegan diet, which is quite extreme. But mm. guess what? Some of those patients turn around with that. With that, and the concept there is they're eating a big plate of greens and sprouts and veggies, and it's all raw. And the concept behind it is by eating the raw food, your body doesn't have to spend too much time digesting it. Right. And therefore, it can then attack whatever bad things such as cancer are in your body. So it gives your body that boost to do that. Plus they're also doing wheatgrass juice, which I, to me, that is the supplement. That's the multivitamin that people should take to do mm-hmm. fresh wheatgrass juice is, a, is very labor intensive. So what I do my personally, is I use wheatgrass tablets. So by taking wheatgrass, you're actually ingesting the sun because of the chlorophyll in it, you're actually taking the power of the sun and the oxygenation of the sun coming into your body and you're oxygenating your cells better. And that's going to fight cancer and disease also. So that's my recommendation that I picked up from Hippocrates is going that way. If you have a severe health issue, then it takes a severe change in your diet. Mm. And so those are just some basic things that you want to know about that um, some of them are drastic. You don't have to do drastic necessarily, but just, and just do one thing at a time. 
just say, let's, you know, start with the bread, then let's add some organic, let's add some more veggies and things like that. And just gradually take away the bad, bring in the good, but do it as a, look at it as a long distance marathon mm-hmm. that is, you're in it for the long haul. And so you don't want to do any crash course where you're eliminating every single cheat food that you that you like you don't want to do that because you're not going to be able to make it more than a month from doing it that way I've absolutely loved listening to you doc rick and I love that you kind of just mentioned that as well because I feel as though you provided so much value today you've shared so many little tidbits about nutrition about movement and also about your feet and orthotics and now I know that a lot of people listening are going to look at their foot and go Oh, uh, maybe I should go to Fleet Feet and figure out if I have an arch or if I have flat foot and where I strike and all of that sort of stuff. And I personally really enjoyed you having you and learning a lot, lot from you. And I think if folks listening today just pick one of what you've said, whether it's taking the wheatgrass tablet or whether it's doing the 12 minute interval, uh, interval training, or whether it's simply like switching to organic, they're going to see a lot of gains in their life. And I'm sure people want to know more about what you do. So before we do sign off today, Doc Rick, uh, where can people get a hold of you, uh, buy your orthotics and learn more about what you do? Okay. So my, my website is startwithyourfeet.com. And if you wanted to ask me a question, it's Doc Rick, D-O-C-R-I-C-K at startwithyourfeet.com. Anyone can uh, send me an email if they have questions. Uh, There is a little bit of a problem with me giving teleconsultations to people that are out of state because I'm I'm a little bit tied down with the law there. If somebody's a Florida resident, I can teleconsult. But somebody from out of the state, they would actually need to come to my office one time, and then I can teleconsult after that. But for general questions, or for giving a webinar, I'm all for it. Um, I'm fine doing all of that. Uh, my orthotics that I designed, I actually um, have two different orthotics. And the, the best way to get that is docricksorthotics.com. Because on that one page, you'll basically see everything you need. And then from there, you can go to my online store. So I have an economical prescription arch support. And I offer two different kinds, a regular one for the, for the majority of people. And in, within that and within both of them, I have what I call two universal prescriptions. I'm not going to go into detail about them, but I have come up with two biomechanical uh, prescriptions that I believe 99% of the people benefit from. And the other 1%, it won't harm but it's just that it's going to help 99% of the people. So I have a regular one. I make sure that that one that I'm offering online where I'm not in control of writing, choosing the material, that it's going to be comfortable for most people. Then I have another one that's called the sensitive foot one. So that's going to be someone that has a really bad back, spinal stenosis, bad, painful, burning neuropathy. So we're going to go with the sensitive foot. It's going to be softer. And the prescriptions are a little more nuanced so as not to set off the sensitive foot. So those are two prescriptions right there that are going to be better than anything you can get. Even if you're stepping on a kiosk footprint, it's going to be much better than that because I find that the footprint doesn't always match what's actually going on on the foot. And I can only tell that when I see the person live, (laughs) but I have my own way of evaluating. And the footprint does not always match. So you can't go by the footprint. So that's my 
that's my product that I feel everybody over the age of 40 should have because things start to happen over 40. If you're younger than 40 and you have a like a big bunion or if you have your feet hurt, well, then you should be in an orthotic then too. But otherwise, think of it as eyeglasses for your feet. People don't think twice about getting glasses once they're 40. Oh, I'm 40 now. I got to go to the eye, you know, the eye doctor and check my eyes. So you should do the same thing with your feet because you want that mobility. So that's that's another site. And I also, Lori, have my own podcast called Holistic Strides, which I'm putting out twice a month. Um, it's about a 25 minute show that right now it's just me giving content for a while. I'm laying down my foundation. I'm up to episode 13. I've been I've been doing I've been uh, doing the, the the podcast now for about five months or so, and I'm I'm love I'm loving it because I as you can see I'm a talker and so I'm I'm made to pod I'm made to podcast. So I can I can I can go on for another hour if if you wanted me to and I could talk about many <laughs> other things that could be maybe another episode but. That's my podcast. It's called Holistic Strides, and you can access that on all the podcast stations. You can see it on YouTube. So mine is like yours. You can see it and you can listen. You could listen in your car as a radio show. You can watch it on YouTube. I find that the best way to access the podcast and my content, I put out content weekly, whether it's a blog or a short video or the podcast. Once a week, I, I put that out. The best way to do it is actually to go on my website, start with your feet, go to the blog page and just and put your email in. Then you then when all the content comes out, it comes right to your inbox on your email. That's the easiest way to do it. That's awesome. So there's plenty of places that we can reach out to you potentially by your orthotics. And also, um, if anyone's enjoyed this podcast, definitely I'll I'll have the links for everything as well. Check out Doc Rick's podcast because I'm sure in those 25 minutes in each episode, we just get so much value. So thank you so much, Doc Rick, for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot, Lori. And down the line, I will have you as a guest on my show. Wonderful. I'm excited. And for everyone listening, whether you're driving the car, going on a walk with orthotics or without orthotics or vacuuming the house, eat well, move well, breathe well. And until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.